One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, what the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody, this is Dave, he is Neil, we are Why Would You Tell Me That? And we're very glad that you've joined us for an amazing episode of this podcast. Uh, the, the new season is coming. In fact, in a week's time, you will get the first episode of season four of Why Would You Tell Me That? But uh, during season three, we recorded a live episode. It was absolutely amazing. Do you remember this, Neil? Neil Dermot Gavin wowing us. I, I do remember this because I don't do that many podcasts and um, you were my first love. And Dermot Gavin came along, talked about a subject that you would not necessarily expect him to talk about, which is his expertise in plants and gardening and all the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wowed a live audience in Dublin city centre. It, it was in a venue. We we insisted on that. I yeah. made it sound like he was busking, just shouting <laughs> random facts to passers-by. But it was really good and the audience got into it and we had a great first half, a great second half and uh, I'm very proud of our bonus episode to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, I think this is a really, really good, interesting episode. I think it's great to hear the audience uh, and their the, the points at which they laugh and the points at which they react and the points at which they're kind of oh my god, that's you can, look we didn't mic them but you can kind of hear it in the room. Um, we should say a couple of things. One is in the second part of this, there is a microphone buzz. And trust me, given the technical issues we had on the night, the little buzz on the microphone is the least of all of our worries. And it's only there for a little bit. You hopefully won't distract you too much from what Dearman is saying. But frankly, his, his, his passion and enthusiasm for the story, I think, will distract a lot stronger than any buzz might be there. And also, we're kind of coming into the first part a little bit um, behind ourselves because basically somebody didn't press record on time. But look. You didn't miss too much. Maybe missed us walking out to rapturous applause or whatever else. But. It was rapturous applause. Dave finally revealed that he's been studying and has revealed the cure for cancer, which yeah. is a shame that we didn't get that down because you forgot about it by the end of the night. I did. I, I had it there on the tip of my tongue. It was ready to yeah. go. I, I yeah. delivered it and then looked up at the guy and went, did you hit record? And he went, what? Yeah. Hatton pressed record. Yeah. No. There, was, there was something about one of the secrets of Fatima. <laughs> I mentioned who, like, I conclusively proved to shut JFK but that that is only for the people in the room I'm right sorry so, about that right but so. if you go to the next podcast you'll find out all those interesting ones because we, we'll, we'll figure out the next uh, secrets to give away it, it doesn't take away much from well what no 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 like, we, we had an absolute ball on the, like, the podcast episode honestly the live podcast episode is amazing and we will definitely do another one very soon uh, season 4 coming back in a week's time so whenever you listen to this don't forget season 4 and also don't forget season 3 and season 2 and season 1 if this is your first episode or it's your second episode or your 15th episode there's a whole rake of them 
is a jump back into. And get in touch if you want to want us to cover things as well. We're at Neil Delamere Comedy, at Dave Today FM, and at Why Would You Tell Me That on Instagram. We're also on Twitter and Facebook and everything else and TikTok as well. But do get involved because they're the people who listen to the show and also they're the people who turned up a few weeks ago in a room. We got to see what these people actually looked like because I wasn't really convinced it was they weren't bots. <laughs> and they laughed and they were very um, knowledgeable as well at certain points, which I was yeah. very impressed by. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thank you very much to those people and thank you very much to you as well for downloading this particular episode and you'll enjoy the rest of it. You know, you know the way it works, the format it works. Usually one of us is in the dark. Today, because it's a live episode, we're not in the dark. We decided to tell each other the idea. I just I got in contact with a certain fella called Dear McGavin and said, will you do our podcast? Will you do a live podcast? He said, yes, all of that. And I said, what plant do you want to talk about? And he went, I don't want to talk about a plant. And I was like, you're Dear McGavin. Of course you want to talk about a plant. So he wants to talk about some, someone, an Irishman, who we'll get to in the second half. The story is phenomenal, but we're saving that. But Neil and I both know this is not the usual way we do this podcast. Yes. Can I just ask, have the lights changed since we've been on, or have I had a stroke? <laughs> he was talking there, and I went, fuck, I, uh, I, was, I was genuinely thinking, you're going to have to do this on your own, because I, th- I think I'm having an aneurysm. This is weird. Is it better now, or... Better yes. now. Okay, okay yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're such professionals. We yeah. didn't figure out the microphone or indeed the lights, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> but the facts are on point. Uh, so are most people, if you're Irish, give us a cheer. <laughs> okay. Uh, Nana, anybody non-Irish? Yeah. Woo, yeah. okay. Where's the person from outside? Are you, is it you? Excellent. What's your name, sir? David. Well, David, where are you from, David? France. France. Excellent. And uh, have you said anything on fire recently? <laughs> <laughs> What age are you, David, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm 48. 48. So two, three years retired? <laughs> I absolutely love France, I have to say. No messing. The pension age is 64. We will set everything on fire. That is how to live. <laughs> the best thing about this conversation is he's actually one of my really good friends. And I'm just enjoying Neil interrogating him. And I know all the answers. How conceited do you have to be to only hang around people of the same name as yourself? <laughs> oh, I don't actually know anybody who isn't called Dave. I, just... I demand they sit in the front row as well. It's okay. vitally important <laughs> I maintain eye contact at all times with all my friends. Oh, hi, Mum. <laughs> oh, no, I know your mum. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to imply that. Anyway. And um, who are you here with, Dave? Is that another friend of Dave? Yes. yes. Okay, what's your name, sir? Donica. Okay, cool. Do you work for Brown Bags as well? Brown Bag. Oh, who do you work for? Uh, I work for Logitech. Logitech? Yeah. Oh, Ma- yes. Mouse's like... keyboard. Cool. Do you want to sponsor a podcast? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, we turned down chef sauce this week, lads. Yeah, we We're did. We're waiting on the big corporate books. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's 175 euro that we can do it out for 75 weeks of fucking sponsorship money. Before, before tax. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you have to hang them upside down and hit them on the feet for the money to fall out of their pockets. That's the only way it works. Chef, if you're listening, just up the offer. <laughs> so I know David's from France, but you live in Ireland for years, so you don't really count. Who is there, I want to know, is there anyone else who isn't from Ireland? Or who, who even travelled the furthest? Yeah, that's a good question. Kerry. Kerry? You came from Kerry? For this? <laughs> like... 
the pressure. <laughs> oh, you won. Oh, so you won a prize on, on the radio show and you decided to combine it with the podcast. Double pressure. Do you, what radio show? Actually, no, actually, earlier on, we were on the street with Dear McGavin. We're having a chat about something. <laughs> on the street with Dear McGavin sounds like, you know, Ross Kemp on gangs, right? <laughs> <laughs> on the street with Dear McGavin. That looks like a cactus. <laughs> <laughs> he just names plants. It'd be fantastic. Are there cactuses in the streets? <laughs> um, There's and, needles. And <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, as part of the conversation, he reached for the most famous radio person he could think of in the north of Ireland. Who was? Uh, Stephen Nolan. Stephen yeah. Nolan. And then he went to reach for the same most famous person he knew in radio in the Republic of Ireland. And I sat there, stood there with a grin on my face going, he's going to say me. No, who did he say? Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan. <laughs> right, will we crack on with the podcast? Yeah. Okay, right, let's do it. Uh, so, Dear McGavin in part two is going to tell us about a fella called Brendan O'Regan, who is phenomenal. We don't know him, but we should. Brendan O'Regan is the man who brought us Duty Free. So we're going to talk about loads of other stuff around travel. Now, Neil has stuff on space travel. Am I yep. right about that? We'll get to that in a minute. But anyone know what a spot profiler is? Is it like Dr. Pimple Popper? No. <laughs> no. Spot profiler. No. So in an airport, people are spot profilers are there to check out who is acting weird. Right. Maybe like you. <laughs> no. It stands for screening passengers by observation technique. Looking at people. Yeah. <laughs> this is an actual job. Really? Yeah. Screening passengers by observation technique. So yeah, looking, looking for things, for weirdos. So for example, uh, people in airports are trained to keep an eye out for like, un, un, like not normal behavior. Okay, so things to keep an eye out for. Lip licking, apparently, is a thing. <laughs> Don't get my tongue out in this podcast. <laughs> Lip licking is a thing. Scratching, so like overt scratching, is something that people whose job it is, they keep an eye out for this. And what it can do is it can let them know, let people know that they're, they're hiding something. Um, and there was a recent report that excessive yawning is something that these profilers keep an eye out for. And they will pull someone over who's absolutely knackered and probably has like three kids under two and is going, I'm, just, I'm not a terrorist. I'm just really tired. Yeah, I've got scabies. <laughs> if you're licking your lips and you're scratching yourself, that's what's wrong with you. Um, another one is whistling, which I suppose makes some kind of sense in that you're kind of trying to give off the nonchalant, you know, <whistles> definitely not trying to blow anything up. Everything's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. Uh, another one is actually laughing too much. So someone in an airport who's laughing too much will get pulled aside by these spot profilers and asked, you know, questions like innocuous things, but they're they know what they're looking for. It's like, what's the purpose of your journey? Where are you going? How long are you going for? All that kind of stuff. Well, laughing, I suppose, you could laugh maniacally. Like <laughs> if you're, <laughs> ah, 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 ah. <laughs> that's slightly terrifying. So um, do you think Dublin Airport has one of these people then? Oh, they definitely do. All airports do. Spot profilers are everywhere. And the other thing they keep an eye out for, and this is amazing, is a recently shaved beard. So you know that look? Like, if you look at David here, the gorgeous Frenchman. Big beard. If he shaved that tomorrow, A, he'd look like a child. But B, <laughs> your face is a different color when you've shaved. So anyone who is disguising themselves one way and then undisguising themselves in another way when they're going to the airport to do whatever they want to do, that's something to keep an eye out for. And a strong body odor. 
So I guess just sweating. <laughs> like, well, so is that? I'd assume the dogs would kind of spot that as well, wouldn't the they? The odors, yeah, possibly. Gee, maybe so. There's a person in Dublin Airport just looking at you. No. We should, you know, what we should do is we te- we should tell if you know if you're listening to this podcast and you know somebody uh, who's tra- who travels a lot but doesn't listen to the podcast, you should tell them that the quickest way, all the things that they're not looking out for, <laughs> are scratching <laughs> yourself, laughing, yawning, yawning, scratching. Yeah, you'll go straight through security, fast track, no problem. Can I just say uh, about Dublin Airport, about any airport, actually, I, um, I hate holding anybody up, right? So when I go through the East Link toll bridge, or the West Link, uh, not the West Link, but the East Link, I have, like, the exact change in my pocket. I have a check to the toll bridge company. <laughs> I have salt. <laughs> I have Whatever an e-tag. I don't, I don't keep anybody waiting. Um, and the people, can we all agree that the people who only get their belongings in order when they're at... <laughs> Yeah, and not before an extra machine in the airport should be executed. Oh, straight to execution. execute. Oh yeah. Oh, do I have to take off my coat and my belt, even though everybody else has been taking off their coat and their belt for a half an hour? And there's a sign saying, "Take off your coat and your belt," and a voice going, "Take off your coat and your belt," and a dog going, "Take off your coat and your belt." <laughs> <laughs> do I have to take off my coat and my belt? Poof, that'd be me. Double tap to the back of the head, step over the body on the way to Tarmelinus. <laughs> I wouldn't care, Dave. I'd, you'd shoot the first person and you'd, you'd look at the rest of the queue go, you, get your shit together, <laughs> just get it like. Nobody's going to be fumbling for that little plastic bag. Yeah, you, stop, stop scratching yourself. You, oh, you've stopped yawning, haven't you? I wouldn't even shoot them. I'd smother them with the clear plastic bag <laughs> that they have willfully ignored. The fact that I didn't even have to finish the murdering them thing before they all started <laughs> no, to no, clap. No, 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 no. The clap came when you began to say the people were annoying who get the, yeah. it. Yeah. the murdering was no claps. No, that's only because they, they were like, you see? <laughs> they were only, they were just waiting for a plan. That's all yeah. they were. This is how the Nazis started. By the way. This is. <laughs> okay. Can I tell you, because uh, we're talking about air travel, yeah. can I tell you what my, my, moon, my moon fact? You have a moon fact? Yeah. Well, can I tell you my moon story, first of all? Have I told you my moon story? What if you all listen to Neil's moon story? Uh, I got into a taxi once in Dublin. And, and uh, went to the moon. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, I went, uh, there was a picture on the dashboard, and I said, like a photograph, like a tape to the dashboard. Yeah. And I said, oh, what's that? And he goes, that is the surface of the moon, he says. And I was joking, and I went, all right, did you have a good time when you were up there? <laughs> and he went, no, 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 I wasn't up there. I'd never get the time off. <laughs> <laughs> As if the main reason a Dublin taxi driver wouldn't go to the moon is because, <laughs> oh no, you wouldn't get a fare back from the moon. <laughs> he, I love, I love taxi drivers. He was absolutely great, crack. Okay, here's my moon fact for you. Right. After the moon landing, uh, when the Apollo 11 lads got back to Earth, they had to go through customs. No, what? Yeah, there, that's their customs form. I've actually printed out their customs form. There it is for you. This is a podcast we realise nobody can see this, is it no, me? But hang on. It's true, yeah. So basically, you've splashed down in the... Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. It does say, right, arrival in USA, departure... Uh, point moon <laughs> yeah it actually says moon yeah, yeah. and look, look look what the car go car on the right hand side 
Oh, cargo. Moon rock and moon dust samples. Cargo manifesto attached into yeah. Honolulu Airport. Honolulu Airport. And it's signed by the three guys, Michael Collins, uh, Buzz Aldrin and, and Neil, Neil Armstrong. Armstrong yeah. And it says, any other conditions on board which may lead to spread of disease. And it says, to be determined. Moon disease. It's like when you come out with coppers and you have an itch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so Don't go straight from coppers to the airport. You'll be pulled over by a spot profile. <laughs> that's, that's true. So this is true. So this, the, the splashdown in the Pacific Ocean, July 24th, 1969. And instead of, oh my God, you're an absolute hero. It's, have you packed that bag yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Could anybody have interfered with that bag? Um, why is the sniffer dog humping your leg? Um, so basically, Buzz Aldrin tweeted a picture of that particular particular form yeah. um, on the anniversary of the moon landing he also tweeted his, his expenses as well which has always been expenses this has always been my contention that Ireland has no astronauts because we would claim mileage <laughs> <laughs> this is us um, $33.31 in private ground transportation to get to and from Cape Kennedy, right? So it's basically a taxi to the, to the rocket. Yeah, that's, that's all he claimed. Yeah, pretty much. So the US Customs and Border Protection website posted that particular customs declaration, declaration form. Now, it's a bit misleading. It is signed by the lads, and, they yeah. did, and, and astronauts do have to go through um, uh, customs. But Apollo 11 splashed down 920 miles f- uh, southwest of Hawaii. That's 812 nautical miles. Did you know land miles are different than nautical miles? No, I did Neither not. Neither did I. 1.15 to 1 is the ratio. So is a nautical mile shorter? 812 nautical miles it's versus 920 land miles. No. <laughs> y- yes. No. It's fewer miles, therefore the mile is bigger. Do you think I... I did pass maths for me leaving. Have you thought for all this time that I'm taller than you? <laughs> no, it's just your inches are longer. That's all it is. Yes, they are. <laughs> That's not good, right? <laughs> On the street with Dermot Gavin. That's a cock. Um, so it's 13... <laughs> They landed 13 miles from the USS Hornet, which is the Navy ship that was going to pick them up. Right. Uh, uh, it took them two days to actually return to Hawaii on July 26th, and they were welcomed um, July 27th uh, in a ceremony in Pearl Harbor. Um, uh, so at that point, was, was so all pre- the det- diseases were determined and everything? Well, presumably they pre-filled that, but they have signed it, but that's the right. 24th of July. No, so they, they had to put on special suits, they were picked up by a helicopter, and they spent... They've been to the moon three weeks in quarantine in basically a specially engineered um, Airstream trailer that was oh, right. on the ship and then it was brought to Houston and they stayed three weeks and that didn't move anywhere in case they got... And didn't meet their families. Moon disease. Okay. Um, so security is important in airports, but not when I worked there because we're going to talk duty-free in part two. I worked there when it was in my, my second job. Uh, I worked in the duty-free store, so the bit where we bring all the stuff up to the shops and put them out. And you think, like, when you've got airside access, like, I could go out, out onto the runways, and so you think, like, they're going to obviously go through a rigorous, you know, security control. Basically, they went, they took a picture of me, and I was a metler, so I had kind of long hair down, down to about here, blonde. They took a picture, and they put him, and then when the lad was filling out my thing, he looked at me and he went, <laughs> you look like Chesney Hawks. And those of you of a certain vintage will remember Chesney Hawks was a pop singer with the blonde hair at that. So he wrote down on my official airport ID, Chesney Hawks. <laughs> and for the entire summer where I worked there, every time I had to like walk up to a door, the guy would go, 
All right, Chess. Hell yeah. <laughs> Beep. Send you through. Like, the security has changed now, but that was what it was like. Surely ju- you were tempted to cause a massive international terrorist incident just, <laughs> just for the crack. <laughs> just to have the news report say Chesney Hawks. <laughs> yeah, he had one great hit. It went downhill, and then he was radicalized, it turns out. <laughs> did, they say, did they ever say to you, are you the Chesney Hawks? Because at that point, you'd have to say, No. <laughs> The one and only, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Jesus. Um, another thing to think about on travel is, if you've ever seen plane routes, like sometimes it looks weird that they fly, say if even Dublin, Dublin to New York, we fly up over Greenland and all that. And you're like thinking, why don't we just fly straight across? And the reason is the globe is obviously, uh, the, we live on a globe, a sphere, whatever. So it's fatter towards the centre. So even though it looks to us like that's a straight line, you know, going from Dublin to New York, because it's fatter, the actual air distance you're travelling is shorter if you stay up at the narrower part of the top of the globe. So that's why sometimes you'll see, especially in Pacific flights, people don't fly like directly over the Pacific Ocean. They'll try and hug land as much as possible. That's a safety thing as well. Is it anything to do with the air currents or anything like that? Yes, the Gulf streams and all, all air streams will also determine how planes fly because obviously A, it can make it, they can make them go faster, but also flying into them is difficult and they can cause turbulence and other dangers or whatever. So, so because I've often seen that kind of like when you see a route, you know, you're looking at that stupid map at the back of the thing, and you're going, why are we going up there? But it's actually, it is, it's more straight than you think, yeah. basically is the point. Yeah, it was, um, it was oh, it's quicker to Lanzarote or somewhere the, the last time I went than it was coming back. But I think that's because it's downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you probably know this as well, but in, in an airport, the celeb restaurant, you know, like the one with the f- famous chef's name over the thing, that is absolutely run by the same people who run the terrible restaurant next door. Like they're just, It's like when you elect a new government and the same people are in charge behind the scenes. This is exactly the same thing. Like, Jamie Oliver is not in Heathrow Terminal 2 making your pizza. It's just not happening. Like, it's just completely the same company who was there before and will be there long after the name changes. It's just whatever celeb is, just put their name on it. Have a look at the menu and go, yeah, and then away you go. And that's it. It's just yeah. a, just you're just a borrowing front, the name. That's it. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned food. I have another moon fact. What was the first uh, food consumed on the moon? Well, we're disappointed that it wasn't a Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> a Milky Way. A galaxy. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of space chocolate bars, aren't there? <laughs> there is a lot of space chocolate bars, actually. Uh, food and drink. Um, water and... Um, an apple. Water and an apple. <laughs> well, they're on them. They're in a spaceship. Like, I've got to serve up a steak. <laughs> it's not a dentures ad. There's, all, there's always an apple in a dentures ad, isn't it? And yeah. a baguette and, a, and an apple. And it's older, old, older people. It's never somebody who's had his teeth knocked out with a hammer, is it? Does anybody know the answer to this? Ice cream. No, it is not ice cream. Okay. No? Anybody else? Edmund, a sandwich, right? <laughs> Says the man in from Spar. Well done. Oh, no. Sandwich, I presume you mean tinfoil wrapped, like ham sandwich. Yeah, it's brought from home. <laughs> like, you're not going to well, go... Uh, you know, of space course it's bar. brought... Of course it's brought from home. <laughs> Imagine you turned up to the moon... And then there was like <laughs> just a fella there with a cart going, all right, yeah, usual. <laughs> We're out with chicken fillet rolls because the aliens ate all them. Of course it's going to be brought from home. 
<laughs> and at least I know now what you do with the tinfoil after you open it. You use it to make a helmet for yourself, you <laughs> mad bastard. <laughs> I'm only if any cultures are listening, I'm only joking, there's nothing wrong with eating stuff you've brought from home. The, <laughs> <laughs> there were proper cultures, they ate it in the boot of the lunar landing. No, do you want to guess again? It is bread though. Bread. Toast? And, no. Tea and toast. Tea and toast. Oh, that would be good. That would be it? good. You'd bring like, flat seven up in the medical kit, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> communion. I know what? It was bread and wine. Or communion, as I like to call it. <laughs> no, hang on. Do you mean like bread and wine like you get in a restaurant when you order your drink and you're waiting on your starter? And this no. Is the, you mean no. actual holy Ab- communion? Absolutely holy communion. Well, I don't know how holy it was because um, Buzz is Protestant, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, according to my grandmother, that, you know, that's, that's, that's not holy at all. He met the devil after it, apparently. Uh, Buzz Aldrin... Before they got out of the lunar lander, on July 20th, 1969, he had uh, a small plastic container of wine and some bread. He had been an elder at this church, nearby church, Webster Presbyterian Church near Houston. And he said to them, I'm going to the moon. And they went, do you want to bring something from home? (laughs) He said, I will. Uh, There's not much available in flight. And they said... He said, I would like your permission to self-administer, to give myself communion. And they said, that's no problem. And in his book, Magnificent Desolation, he shares the message he then radioed to NASA. And he said, I would like to request a few moments of silence and to invite each person listening in, wherever and whomever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and give thanks in his or her own way. Wow. Yeah. And he poured it into the chalice and apparently it kind of, it, it's one-sixth gravity in the moon. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, and it kind of, it curled up the side of the chalice and it was all, it, it was beautiful looking and uh, he, he took it. Uh, now, he, apparently he, they wanted to make a much bigger deal of this, but they had been going under, um, NASA, NASA and various public schools had been brought to court by a famous atheist in the US at the time. And uh, he was told, you can do this, but, Tone it down. And Neil Armstrong sat there and said nothing. Respectful silence. He's a deist, or, or was a deist, apparently. Um, I, don't, we, I don't know what that is. Anyone else know what that is? Uh, you believe in God, and and he, but you think that God... Oh. Yeah. He doesn't know what a deist is either. No, no, no. God. Well, God he, you, believe, you believe in God, and you think that God... <laughs> No, a deist is actually somebody who believes in God but thinks that God has created the world and then hasn't gotten involved essentially after that. And you, you rely on rational, rational and uh, logic, okay. rationality and logic. Right. So he said, yep, you do you, do you Buzz. Okay. Now, he didn't say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't work in the spacesuit, as far as I'm aware. But after that, apparently years afterwards, Buzz Aldrin also said, I could have been a bit more inclusive because that was obviously solely Christian, but it meant a lot to me. Mm. But uh, be, uh, we were there for all mankind, which is the phrase. Yeah. I could have done something that was a little bit more inclusive for, for uh, people of different faiths. But he did that, and that was the first Fair thing taken on the moon. Okay, let's talk about airport codes. So who knows the code for Dublin? Malaga. AGP. So do you know why it's AGP and not MAL? Yes. Well, so that sounds like a woman who knows. <laughs> Where is MAL? What have you done with it? Uh, so MAL is gone. So, so what happens is, yes, yeah, so they, the, the IATA, the International Air Transport Association, is in Montreal, and its job is to assign airport codes 
two airports. So Dublin, DUB, we're fine. Malaga, not so much. AGP. The reason it's AGP is they went, MAL was gone. So the next two letters are AG, Mal, Ag, A, and they took them. The P, I was waiting for a great story. P is just random. It's disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> AGP. <laughs> um, but say Cork, for example. So Cork wanted COR, can't have COR because Cordoba in Argentina has COR. So they went with ORC, O-R-K. So that is, that is the airport code if you're flying into Cork, which is very annoying for the people of ORC in Germany who have an airport and they can't have ORC. <laughs> Literally can't have it. If you like J-R-R Tolkien, it would be good though. <laughs> um, then Sioux City, Iowa, okay? It, uh, it was I-O-U-X. S-I-O-U-X, Sioux City, yeah. It was assigned its, uh, its code by IATA, IATA. And IATA went, you can have S-U-X. <laughs> so rather than give out about being called sucks, they leaned into it. So now you, when you go to the airport, you can buy flying sucks. <laughs> on, like S-U-X t-shirts, <laughs> hats, tote bags, whatever it is. It's brilliant. Hoovers. <laughs> straws. Stormy Daniels. <laughs> Now, look, I am a child, so I looked into some of the other rude Oh, ones. excellent. Bum. <laughs> I was going to say anyone know, but you'll never guess it. It's wait, no, wait, go on. Where, bum. Bum. Okay, it's Give in, us a clue. It's in the States. Oh, okay. That narrows it down. Um, no, honestly, you've never heard of it. It's like this game on, can go on, on forever. Where is the person who suggested that? Yeah, where are you from, sir? Dublin. Okay. Just thought he sounded a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you hoping he was from? I, I thought we could have a bit of crack. Is he from, where is he from? Dublin. No, the lady beside him went, he is. But you meant, oh, he's a bit different. Oh, he's a bit different. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name, sir? Joe. Joe, what do you do, Joe? Semi-retired. Semi-retired. Nice. What does that mean? He's half French. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, where is Bum? Bum is Butler Memorial Airport in the USA. I know, I told you, B- never going to Butler get Memer- Memorial yeah. Airport. What is that? Like where diabetics go to go- die <laughs> after they eat loads of butlers. <laughs> Dick. D-I-K. Ah, you're a child. No, I, listen. Is again. Dick near Bum? Huh? <laughs> it is, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but cock isn't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dick is Dickinson Regional Airport, also in the States. Cock is Cochin International in India. So you can fly into Cock. No wonder you kept the Chesney Hawk ID. Where are you going on your holidays? Well, Dave goes on a family holiday to Florida, but Chesney Hawks (laughs) loves the cock. P-E-E. 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 It no. begins with P, this place. Anyone want to guess? Perth? No. Perth. First three letters are right. It's Perm in Russia. Oh. It's P-E-E. Poo. <laughs> ah, Jesus I told Christ. you I was a child. <laughs> Can flight one, two, one, two, one, two to Poo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> poo is in Pocos de Caldas in Brazil. And fuck. <laughs> uh, Go on. Where? Where? Yes! Round of applause for that person wow. there. Wow. That, that is our audience right there, right? These people, ha-ha, pee and poo, ha-ha. 
But somebody who still knows the answer to that. Yeah, Fukuyoka in Japan. And I think they should have t-shirts. Do you give a flying fuck? Like, come on. No. It writes itself. That works for Irish people as well. What did you do last night at Fuku- Fukuyoka? Yoke. Come on, this is, works out quite well. Uh, there's also an airport in Florida. Well, you know spring break, right? So all the college kids or the school kids, whatever, I don't even know Asia, But they go to spring break. And there's a place called Beaches International Airport. So they went to IATA and went, can we have BIA? And they said no, because that's an airport in Korska. You can't have that. But you can, make, you, can re- you can apply. You can say, what else do you want? And they went, well, can we have the Florida beaches? That's where they're going. So they went TFB. That was gone too. Anyone know what TFB is? No. Because <laughs> I've never heard of it before. Tifalman in Papua New Guinea. Oh, it's yeah. near Port Moresby. <laughs> it is a genuine. That's the capital of uh, Papua New Guinea. Jesus Christ. So Hold on. Can I just say that I could have said any two words there? That's true. <laughs> That is true. Near yeah. Port Moresby. Near Jean Blunk. <laughs> the capital of Papua Old Guinea. <laughs> uh, they eventually settled on ECP. Now have, a, have a think what you think ECP is. This is spring break. This is Florida beaches. And they asked for and got approved ECP. Every consent practiced. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's <laughs> It's actually everyone can party. And IATA went, yeah, that's fine. So you can fly into ECP. I, th- I think I'd like my airline people to be a bit serious. More <laughs> serious than that. He's just answering the phone. Ah, yeah! <laughs> Do you know who my favourite people who work in airports are? Do you have any more? Oh, of those? So much more. But well, can on. I tell you? No, no, no more rude ones. We're all, we're all very highbrow again, don't worry. Okay. Uh, my favourite people who work in airports, apart from your good self now, yeah. I didn't realise this. Have you seen Stop Search Seas? Oh, yeah. On Sky One. Oh, my God. So I don't think they make it anymore, but it's basically Irish customs officers. And they're so nice. They're so... Particularly the ones outside Dublin. You know the Australian one? Is, oh, it's called something like, Get them. in the ground, you bastard! <laughs> and, it's, and it's always some poor man who's just taking wildlife that he's strapped to his body off himself. <laughs> Why do you have two turtles strapped to your knees? Uh, I, I do skateboarding and they're... They're cheaper than pads. And, uh, <laughs> so it's really aggressive. The, the Stop Search Seas one, um, the, the guy is really lovely. Particularly, I don't know if they make it anymore, but there's a guy on it once, and a woman came in, and she was from one of the, uh, the three Baltic countries. I, th- right. I, th- I think it might have been Lithuania, I'm not sure. So she comes in, and she had 7,000 cigarettes with her, right? 7,000? And your man goes to her, do you know what your allowance is? Now, she knew it wasn't 7,000, right? <laughs> and she goes, no, I don't know what my allowance is. And, it, like, she had a pallet. She brought it in at a, at a forklift, <laughs> essentially, you know? It's a big, huge uh, bag. And he goes, your allowance is 300 cigarettes. And then he goes, if it was up to me, it would be more. Um, <laughs> And then he said, she you do that in the weekend? <laughs> on television, he said, right? And then he, this is brilliant. He, she has this bottle, and he says, what's in the bottle? And she goes, it's homemade alcohol my husband made for my father. And he goes, really, is it? Because it looks like it's in a red lemonade bottle. So what is in the bottle? And she goes, it's, it's homemade alcohol that my husband made by father. And he goes, no, now, listen, it'd be well within your rights to have red lemonade in the red lemonade bottle. And obviously, if I was to ask you what was in said red lemonade bottle, I would be perfectly entitled to think that it might be red lemonade, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And she goes, no, it's homemade alcohol my husband made. <laughs> 
<laughs> he was like, like he was standing there going, one of them was going, have you got any cocaine for me? He said that to me. <laughs> They're absolutely brilliant. Oh, I love it. Uh, just very quickly, I'll finish off on the airport codes. Pilots don't use any of the ones we just talked about. They don't use any of them. They use, and the reason why is amazing. If you have three digit codes, you can make 17,000 permutations. Okay. How many airports do you think there are in the world? Well, I wouldn't. 15,000 airports in the world? 40,000. 40,000 airports? Now, that it does include like airfields, airstrips. It would include like Baldonnel down, you know, the aerodrome, whatever. But there are 40,000. So there's not enough three digit codes to make it work for every airport. So they added one letter. And there's a different organization called ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, and they put the codes out. And you would think look, they're going to add one. So you keep them the same. So Dublin would be DUB, and then you add a letter. No, it's completely different. And the pilots all use these in the air traffic control and everybody. Uh, and what they do is they've, they've got simple things, I suppose. So ones that start with E are in Europe, but in Northern Europe. If you're in Southern Europe, it starts with L. Helpful. P is Pacific, S is South America, M is Middle America. It's all going fine so far. USA, K. All of them start with K. Why? No, no one's altogether sure. They do think it's something to do with the fact that they use K for radio stations. And they thought that that was, like, they would continue that practice. Like, you know, K-Rock and yeah. K-I-S-S or K-I-S, Kiss FM. So they kind of put the K on. Australia is Y. Alaska and Hawaii, which are in the States, but they're not in the, what do they call it? The contiguous, contiguous states. 48, yeah, so lower 48. P yeah. for Pacific. And does anyone want to have a guess where J is? Jamaica. Japan. No, they're kind of regions more than countries. So like J. Just over there. I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's not on Earth. The moon. No, the moon doesn't have uh, one, but we have gone somewhere else. Mars. So where they landed, the rover is called JZRO, J0. The crater has an actual ICAO four-digit code, JZRO. So, and so who uses that? <laughs> the rover? No, no, no. No, no. Who uses the four-digit codes? Pilots. All pilots. So what's the three-digit codes? Ah, this is the amazing thing. The three-digit codes, they're not even for you as passengers. They're for your bag. That's all it is. The three-digit code is just to get your bag from whatever airport you're in to the other airport through the computer system that moves the bags around the airport. Have you airport. just wasted our time for 20 minutes? <laughs> Have you listened to the podcast <laughs> And bag is Baghdad. <laughs> I actually don't know what it is. It is. Check yeah. it. It, uh, it is. Uh, I believe you. I fucking know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gents, that is the first half of Why Would You Tell Me That? Are you ready for part two? Yeah. Do you want a little break first? Yeah. yeah. Go to the bathroom, get yourself a drink. We'll see you in a few minutes' time for part two with Dear McGavin, all about Brendan O'Regan. Thank you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Dude. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That with the brilliant Mr. Dermot Cavan. I said to you, let's do uh, an episode on gardening and you said, no, you want to tell us about someone else. Why do you want to tell us about someone and not talk to us about plants? Uh, I'd always known about uh, this guy, kind of in the background. You know, uh, growing up in Ireland in the 70s and 80s, it was a kind of dour, grey uh, place and it wasn't very hopeful. And so many people were bred in this country to emigrate. Uh, and I always... It was amazing to chart the success of the country after that and wonder about it and wonder where those seeds had been set. And I knew about people, T.K. Whittaker yep. and Sean Lamas and stuff like that. But there was a third guy uh, who was working away. And this guy probably had an even more remarkable um, effect on people than John O'Donoghue, free education or whatever. And his, guy was, uh, his name is Brendan O'Regan. I found myself, we were making a, an episode of DIY SOS in Ennis and Shannon last summer. And I knew that's where this guy was from. So I decided when I was down there, I'd investigate further. And that's why it was soon after that that we talked. Right. Okay. So we've know, we know that much. But let's paint a picture of, I guess, the economic and the political situation around Ireland when it, it becomes apparent that Brendan O'Regan is going to become an important part of this story we're going to tell. So Ireland would have been regarded internationally as a basket case, a backward place, a relatively new state, a state that's associated with famine and troubles. I was saying to you earlier on that, first of all, we had a famine in the 1740s, and then we had a famine in the 1840s. And in the 1950s, up to 50% of people in this country were working on the land. Um, we had no industry, or, or very little uh, kind of native uh, I industry. 
you know, emigrate. The population had gone from, I think, about 8 million eight to, three, yep. to 3 million, which was really quite extraordinary. So how does a country like that get uh, on its feet? So it wasn't... And, and, and that went right the way through to, I, I would think, the 80s. Uh, it, it wasn't the... You wouldn't have thought that it was a brilliant place to grow up. And I don't know, if, you know, when I was watching things like Top of the Pops uh, and seeing other places and other forms of creativity, your television was your way into just other places. And people were brought up to dream about escaping and not not really dreaming about staying here and doing really anything. So how did that all change? And especially during COVID times, I have an 18-year-old. And it, when she was, you know, five or six or seven, I used to think, well, will you go away the same as uh, everybody else? And then during COVID, you begin to realize, during COVID, during Boris Johnson, dur- during Donald Trump, during the guy in Hungary, during... Orban. Yeah, uh, what's happening in Poland with the judicial says, uh, what, what's happening in Israel at the moment. You think, God, it might rain a bit and it might be a bit grey but it's not the worst place to be. Uh, so, uh, indeed, it may, incredibly, if you're lucky enough to have a house, live in a house, be able to afford certain things, be able to avail of the, the health service, if you have those things on your side, it's not the worst place to be. So, take us back to the time where Brendan O'Rourke is this man, Brendan O'Regan, sorry, is this man who affects such change. You're talking about suddenly Ireland's geographic position comes into its own because for years Ireland was, as you say, agrarian. We were essentially England's farm or England's garden. I know some people take gardening very seriously. I don't think it's that important. Um, (laughs) What happens in the 40s and 50s that we, before he comes along, set the scene there. So before he comes along, we, we are this relatively new state, 1922, relatively new state, but, you know, with other members of the UN looking, can this small country get its act together now that it has broken away from the colonialists? And uh, we're a kind of basket case because we have nothing but food, uh, no industries, And what begins to happen then in the 1930s, let's say, air travel and transatlantic air travel begins to become a thing. thing. And what they realise, what the governments in Ireland, but also probably more importantly, the governments in America, in Canada and in the UK realised was that planes would not fly, let's say, from New York to Newfoundland, even directly. They'd need to stop somewhere. So all of a sudden, Ireland had an advantage that we were further west than London. Uh, it was, uh, let me get, 33,500, hard for an Irishman to say, 33,500 uh, miles no. to... It's even harder to say 3,300. Yeah. 3,300, yeah. sorry, 3,300 miles to New York, but the, no, the planes could only do 3,300, yeah. but it was 34... To London. To London. Yeah, so the planes couldn't make it in one hop. So they, all these countries got together and decided that Ireland might be a good staging post. So it was decided that an airport would be built 
And the place they picked was a swampy piece of land in the Shannon estuary. There wasn't a place called Shannon at that stage. There was just a river. So they decided that they would build a runway there. And the first planes were, actually the first planes were these seaplanes. Uh, and then they built the runway for the, uh, for the, for the jets uh, or whatever. And really something remarkable happened at that stage. So they built this airport. And within two years, they had 100,000 visitors to the airport. Now, they were only visiting the airport, then nine hours later, because they had to stop for nine hours, would fly off somewhere. So that was their... Um, so you're talking 1935, UK, Ireland, Canada, and the US decide Shannon is going to be the place. Shannon they did 100,000 people a month within two years. So that's a massive success at this point. A really huge enforced success, because yeah. this was a stage... The best kind. Uh, if you went... <laughs> If you went, if you were going from New York, you'd go New York, Newfoundland, Newfoundland, um, Shannon. Shannon, Shannon, Southampton, Southampton, and then the train to London. So that was your trip to to get across. It was a bit of an ordeal. Uh, it was quite a journey. So once they set this up, right, uh, Shannon becomes massively successful. It then becomes apparent, though, that Shannon is a lot of people's first and only impression of Ireland. So the Irish government goes, okay, well, we better make it as good as it can be. And they realise that British Airways are doing the food. Um, yes, the food was terrible. Um, uh, I think it was the Taoiseach and the Minister for Tourism who were down there and they said, BA is doing the food and we can't have that. So there was a young lad who had come to the attention of the government, this guy, Michael O'Regan. He was from a County Clare family. He was from, uh, actually, it was funny, they were obviously a well-to-do family. He went to school in Blackrock College. He, the, the family were on holidays somewhere in Italy and they met some guy from Fiat. And the dad says, I think I'd like a Fiat dealership. So they negotiated during these holidays. And his dad was told, in whatever county you live, go to the main town and do the Fiat dealer. So he bought a piece of land, but to buy the piece of land, he had to buy a hotel. So he bought the uh, <laughs> old Grand Hotel. Old Sand Hotel, is it? The old Grand in, in Ennis to get the... the but then Brendan decided, they all, all the family worked in the hotel then, and it, Brendan really talked to us. So he went off to Germany and Switzerland to train in hotel, in hotel management. We get to the point where Brendan's making a name for himself, working in this hotel. He comes to prominence. The, the only restaurant that all of these 100,000 100, people a month are coming to Ireland, and the only thing they see is this bad restaurant run by British Airways. So you can see why the President and the Minister for Tourism decide they want to do something. And they appoint Brendan to run the restaurant. They appoint Brendan because some of these uh, civil servants had been down in another hotel he worked in, in County Clare. And they, they thought, the food is just fantastic here. And he had innovated some of it. The hotel was in Ennestine. It was called the Falls Hotel. And he used to send hot meals out to the golfers. So it was takeaway food. The first hot takeaway wow. food he'd sent to the golfers. And the, the civil service, he used to go, this guy's onto something. They offered him a job to run the Stevens Green Club in Dublin, which was failing. He turned that round within a couple of years, made that profitable. And then they said, he's the man for Shannon Airport. So he's in Shannon Airport. He improves the... The, the decor, he improves all the standards, he improves the idea of Ireland. But then he gets the idea that will essentially change the world because Shannon Airport becomes the first ever 
No, before that. He, it's before amazing. that. So before that, he's in Shannon Airport. He arrives in Shannon Airport and he sees a chef walking by with a plate of food. And he says, now, chef, that has no uh, eye appeal, does it? The food looked very grey. And he says, we have these people for nine hours. We have one chance to give, make a good impression of our country. We have the best growing conditions for cattle, for uh, spuds, for uh, whatever. And we're sorry, it's not great, chef. Can you c- c- come up with anything better? And the following day, and this is really quite amazing, so the following day, Brendan is in his office in Shannon Airport. The chef knocks on the door, and he comes in, and he's holding a glass of something, and there's a black uh, liquid with a white top in there. And he says, has this got eye appeal? And it was the first Irish coffee. And that's amazing. So that's the first innovation that Brendan O'Regan is responsible uh, for. And it became famous because as as soon as all these enforced guests would step off the planes into the restaurant in Shannon Airport, they were all presented with an Irish coffee. And there are pictures of Marlon Monroe and Arthur Miller and the whole lot of them drinking this Irish Irish coffee. So that's extraordinary. I know. So what Neil was referencing there, though, this guy is 26 years old, okay? So he's not, not like a man who's been through a long career. He's just blossomed in hotel management he's blossomed in uh, hospitality he's basically like completely turned the restaurant around he's therefore changed the reputation ireland is getting with these international travelers and he's invented the irish coffee and you think that's probably pretty good for 26 years old but then he does decide that there's something else we can do he is the first person to dress up as a sniffer dog in the airport (laughs) and catch people smuggling drugs no one had ever thought to do that before just so you know, there aren't people dressed up as sniffer dogs. They're really sniffer dogs. <laughs> have you seen the size of them in Dublin Airport? <laughs> Wouldn't have hot wired a car. <laughs> no. He did do the first ever thing that was the first ever in the world. So and I, Shannon has the first ever. Absolutely. So again, this is remarkable. He had been part of a delegation because he was a young rising star. And he was incredibly charismatic. He was sent off to New York on a boat to uh, after World War II, something to do with the Marshall Plan to see how Ireland was going to benefit. And on the boat, on the way back to Shannon, he noticed something, that when the boat was in international waters, as soon as it left uh, port, a shop opened. And this shop sold things cheaply because they were in international waters and there was no duty. And he goes back to Shannon and he has this idea. Look, we have these passengers. They come into Shannon. They land at Shannon. We have them for nine hours. We could sell them stuff without duty. And he goes to the government and he has a, a couple of contacts in the government and he says, can I do this? Can I? He does a deal with the government um, that he will operate a duty-free shop and everybody... Uh, and the first thing he sold? Whiskey. Bottles of whiskey. He was in the pocket of Big Toblerone. <laughs> <laughs> but explain why whiskey is such an amazing thing to sell duty-free. Well, because it's portable. Yeah. It's, it's easy to uh, carry. Mind you, he wasn't happy with that. It was portable and people would buy a bottle. But people didn't want to buy a bottle at this price because it was a third of the price. They wanted to buy a case. So all of a sudden, Irish whiskey, he developed this export market for it because people could buy it, but then he'd ship it out after them. He'd send it send on it after them. So think about it. Like, so one of the most heavily taxed things in any country is alcohol, right? So if you take the tax away, as Dermot said, you're, you're literally dropping it by two-thirds of the price. 
So you're not going to buy a bottle, you're going to buy a case. And then if Brendan is going to ship it out to you afterwards, then you can wow your friends with this amazing product you picked up while you were in Ireland on your you know, transatlantic journeys. It, it's a way of boasting, whatever. And it can, like, it's not long before they sell everything else, jewellery and Irish crafts and sweaters and whatever else. But this was like, it was the whiskey that really set up the success of the Judy Free Shop. It, it was, and within a very short amount of time, they increased the size of the shop and opened another shop. And the remarkable thing about this is the basis of every duty-free shop that exists worldwide in every airport is still based on what he decided to do. And not only what he decided to do, but he listens to everybody who worked with him. And he credited people for uh, w with having ideas. And he had done this deal with the government, I think, for 25% of the profits, but he never collected. He never collected. Isn't Why? Because that wasn't the thing. He, he was driven by something else. He was driven by a love of this country and a belief that we were as good or better than anybody else. But I love this country as well, and I, um, <laughs> I just love it more if I was richer. <laughs> But that, that wasn't his motivation, and he, I think he had the feeling that everybody had to be in this. So Shannon Airport has the first ever duty-free in an airport in the world, and has this for six years, and it employs a thousand people by the mid-50s. So a thousand people have been employed in any business in Ireland, probably other than Guinness, would have been absolutely extraordinary. It was the biggest employer from a place that didn't even have a town. All it has is an airport. So that was absolutely extraordinary. And then other countries started to hear about this. And, you know, from London they came, we'd quite like to do it. And he showed them all how to do it. And he was particularly interested later with developing countries because he wanted everybody to rise up, especially somebody who had been a nation, maybe, who had also been uh, colonised. So he'd help these people and they'd put on courses and you know, they came from every country and they learned how to do well, it. I think 52 countries. Yeah, we're jumping a little bit there because I do want to go back to the fact that you mentioned that, Sh that Shannon was just an airport. There was no town. So the phrase I think was used was, Shannon was an airport built around a shop, Yeah. right? Yeah. So Shannon Airport only grew because of the success of the duty-free. But then they literally, because the Ireland had gone through this change and it had become more industrialized, its reputation was burnished by things like duty-free, by things like Shannon Airport, people started to come home. So immigration was happening and our population was going up. And Shannon was an amazing place it's for people to base themselves, but there was no town. So what did they do? The first new town in Ireland in a thousand years, Brendan O'Regan, Shannon, because of this, because of this endeavour. And it's quite incredible I because think, we've... I think, honestly, I think we're... We've, so, I, I, so if you look at the trajectory at the moment, you have the takeaway, the hot takeaway meals to the golfers in La Hinch, you have the Irish coffee, you have the first uh, duty-free... Would you not be happy with that? Uh, and, and then a, a new town, which signifies in this country, when everybody is leaving and people are now coming back, signifies so much. I like the way you said an airport built around a shop. Like that's any weirder than an airport built around visions of the Virgin Mary. And 
oh, you have a shop. We can do better than that. We don't even have a shop, but some kid saw something once. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that he did. He did give everyone advice because, uh, you know, a lot of people saw the success and obviously they wanted a part of this as well. So they came over. He ran courses for other countries to learn about how to make a duty-free shop, uh, including Russia, actually the USSR at the time. And I actually worked when I, I lived in Russia for a year and I worked in the duty-free shop in St. Petersburg. Chesney Hawksley. That's what his name was in Russia. <laughs> um, but some, something happened though that did threaten his success, which was the jet engine, because obviously it increases range. So up until this point, it was propeller-engined. The fuel, as Dermot said, would only get you 3,300 miles, so they had to land in Shannon. The jet engine was likely to just completely rid Shannon of all of its success. It would take passengers away, and it did. It really reduced the amount of flights coming in. But BOR, Brendan O'Regan, a lot of people have said that his name actually stood for bash on regardless, because he would look problems like this in the face and come up with other solutions. So what was the plan then he had for the area around Shannon. He had another idea of how to change the face of Shannon a second time. So again, really kind of remarkable. He was rattled. And there's interviews, there's audios, uh, audio interviews, archive interviews you can listen to. So he was really rattled by it. But he did have another idea because he remembered at one stage uh, being in Panama and sailing through the Panama Canal. And he, he remembered observing a duty-free zone, just a small area by the uh, Panama Canal, and asking somebody about it, and they said, well, that's where goods can be shipped in. And stuff. So he went to the government with probably his most remarkable idea, but everybody was a bit wary at this stage. They said, maybe this lad has had his day in terms of ideas, because Shannon is very definitely going down, and Ireland is picking, so should we back this guy? So what's your idea? And his idea was for a duty-free zone, a free trade area. Yeah, IFZ, I think it's called, International Free Zone or something free like that. But basically, yeah, it, he put a fence around a field was all he did and the idea there was companies could fly in stuff with tax free they could then irish workers would go and build this stuff so if it was car parts or, or which it wasn't in the early days in the early days it was chinchilla breeding and a pinball machine operator uh, my stag party <laughs> and uh, it, it, but it was tax free so you could ship the stuff in Irish workers would make it up, uh, so Ireland started to become industrialised, and it was shipped out. And these were the type of companies, so he, his idea was just, let's wait and see if one comes in, uh, and then soon, within you know, a year or so, a young Japanese company uh, moved in, a very, very young Japanese company called Sony. So he, yeah, he builds this with no committed clients. He starts to build factories. He gets GE, General Electric, Sony. And by the mid-60s, most flights now had freight for the industrial zone. And by the mid-60s, 25% of all Irish industrial exports came from Shannon, which is a town and a, an airport that didn't exist a few years before that. It, it, just quite remarkable, quite selfless. And all the other stuff that he innovated, he still 
going at, he's beginning to look into the wider Shannon region. He's beginning to look at tourism in Ireland. Through all this work, been the kind of maitre d', uh, let's say, of the airport. He's met influential people, very wealthy Americans, and he's still developing ideas. But this kind of duty-free zone turned out to be the one. And it changed, it certainly changed Ireland, uh, but not only Ireland. And, and then, as you mentioned before, because this could help particularly developing countries, he invited them over to learn from his team, who probably understood more about the economics and the taxation and everything involved in this, but it was his idea. But he flew, so people would come from all over the world, all developing countries, to learn. And he has a very special relationship with the Chinese. Well, this, this was, again, quite extraordinary because he wanted to lift uh, everybody. And the Chinese started to... So the Chinese communists, kind of anti-business going back 20 years ago. I mean, things have changed just re remarkably, uh, really, since... And uh, pre-COVID, I was... Most of my work was in China. And I would travel around cities I'd never heard of, uh, find remarkable... Uh, cities of 20 million people I'd never heard of, remarkable new airports, uh, highways, you name it. And most of my work was for, for local uh, government there. How did all this happen? And part of the reason for it was Brendan O'Regan, which is just beyond amazing. So the Chinese heard, uh, heard about it, and soon... Almost every week, there'll be another delegation from China. And then something really extraordinary happened. The vice president, I think, of the Chinese Communist Party, who was about to become president, so this is in the 1980s, was, who was about to become president, he did a 40-day world tour. And when he got to Europe, he didn't go to London or Frankfurt or Bonn or Brussels. He went to Shannon. And he went to Shannon Airport, but then he also went to a town called Six Mile Bridge. Six Mile Bridge is a relatively small town, and it's named Six Mile Bridge because it's a bridge six miles away from Limerick. Um, It'd be fewer nautical miles. <laughs> <laughs> and people were amused that this guy, who was very obviously very important, was there. And then he asked to go to some hill. I can't remember the name of, of the hill that overlooked. And he looked down on Shannon Airport, and he looked our, down on this free zone, and he said, this is what we will do, but we won't build one. We will build a 100. And he went back, and they built a 1,000. So this is this is Xi Jinping. This is the more most possibly the most powerful man in the world currently is no, walking no, around six that mile was, bridge. That was his predecessor, but he also came and did exactly the same thing. And there's a podcast we've all listened to, and the guy uh, in, uh, asking the the person from China, and did he know who Brendan O'Regan was? Oh yes, he knew. nobody in Six Mile Bridge knew, very few people in Shannon knew. But now, probably one of the most powerful, well, certainly one of the most powerful, but maybe the most well, powerful man in the world. I think he actually undersold it a bit as well, because the Chinese, uh, I think, rather than, they said they'd build 100, they built 2,500 industrial-free zones, 
one of those industrial free zones became the Shenzhen. You've probably heard of that place. That's a city of 20 million people. It only exists because of Brendan O'Regan's idea. So the effect he's had, in fact, now all over the world, there are more than 5,500 of these. They now call them SEZs, and they're special economic zones. But there are more than 5,500 of them around the world, allowing nations to, to pull themselves up, and particularly nations who were, who were colonized before, and create industry and create things that they just simply could not have done on their own. And this all came from Brendan O'Regan. And I know this summer you mentioned the fact that you were, you were down in, in Clare, uh, but you got the chance to go and visit Six Mile Bridge and try and find some of his family, some people who might have known him, and it proved a little bit unfruitful. Well, we were working with Baz, so we wanted to get away from Baz. Uh, <laughs> and so at night, myself and the producer uh, would go off, and I kept telling her about this story because I thought there was a great uh, documentary uh, in it. So I brought her one evening to Six Mile Bridge and I went into the pubs and the takeaways. And in one of the pubs, I saw a picture of the Chinese president just on the wall with a hurley and... Uh, Shouting and at Davy Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked people and nobody knew. I went to the takeaway. I saw the kids. Uh, well, when I say the kids, the 17, 18-year-olds, I asked them. And I knew they wouldn't know about Brendan O'Regan and nobody knew but I also went to Shannon Airport and there was an exhibition upstairs about Brendan O'Regan. You'd miss it. Uh, you know, you'd easily miss it, but it's a very sweet little exhibition. Um, I also went to Bunratty Folk Park because Brendan O'Regan wanted other stuff to happen. So we went to Lord Gort, who owned Bunratty Castle. He went to the government and they created the whole Bunratty folk evenings together. He got other uh, wealthy Americans to buy the big you know, manor hotels in the place and re restore them. So his influence... He also built the Catering College in, uh, down in Shannon, which is still going strong today because of that excellence he had found in Germany and in, in, in Switzerland. First of all, it's surprising that he did all these things. Second of all, it's surprising he didn't take all the money. And third, like, he contributed to one cocktail. That'd be me done. I would never have done anything again. And, like, Tom Collins did nothing after his. <laughs> it is a remarkable story. And it's something that we all now but encounter through every single I mean, airport. There's another really major uh, thing that he did. He set up an organisation called Cooperation North. And if you remember the significant handshake between the Queen and Martin McGuinness at that reception, that was a Cooperation Ireland event. So right the way through his life. He said he was motivated by maybe England or the British keeping us down. He said he didn't dislike the British. He really liked them. He married one. Uh, but he felt we could do anything as good. I also learned through that podcast that m much like when I went to Six Mile Bridge or when I went to Bunrahi or when I went to, I asked people about him and everybody, anybody who did know him, especially in Bunrahi, I met people who knew him. My father-in-law knew him uh, because he was in Black Rock College too. And when you ask people about him, everybody just smiled. They adored him because he was charismatic and good. And... The thing that came across in the podcast was... Stop plugging the other podcast. <laughs> the thing that came across in my research was... <laughs> the thing that would be cut out of the end edit of the show was... 
the thing that I realized yay, was yay. <laughs> the thing that I realized was that he'd be happy to be forgotten because he felt everything that he did was helped by other people. Other people had ideas. Other people contributed. He probably felt he had a good life and he didn't need what maybe I feel he needs and that's to be remembered because I think he has lessons for all of us. And my lesson is that first thing in this hotel called The Falls in Ennis Simon, just do your best. If you can do your best. So he did his best in terms of the food offer and thinking of the guys on, on the golf course and didn't look for it, but it was noticed and he was any position he was put into. It just had the most remarkable effect on, uh, you know, on this country, on many other countries, on Taiwan, for instance, because that started off in terms of its uh, economic revolution uh, wow. because of his principles. It also hasn't gone very well in some places. It was done right here. It lifted Ireland out of what Ireland was going through. Uh, people may think it led to the low tax re regime that other countries uh, complain about with all the Googles and the Facebooks and the Apples uh, being based here and paying their tax, uh, a large amount of tax for the moment here. Other people think that's unfair. So it isn't a perfect story everywhere. But I think it's been pretty much perfect in this country. Yeah, it's, it's a remarkable story. It's interesting that you say that he actually would be happy enough to be forgotten. It's a lovely way to end this show where we're commemorating him for the last hour that we are <laughs> disobeying a dead man's wishes. It, there's nothing... <laughs> nothing makes me feel better about going against he and his family's wishes towards the end that this statue of commission seems somewhat... <laughs> somewhat overkill. Ladies and gentlemen, Dermot Gavin. Right, what about that? What an amazing live episode uh, from Dermot Gavin. To think that Brendan O'Regan has made such an impact, not just on the town of Shannon, which didn't exist, not just on the way we buy things in airports, but the way business is conducted around the world. Like, his impact is amazing. And uh, as you pointed out and as Jim pointed out in the episode, he doesn't even want any recognition for it. He never did. Yeah. And, and at any point of uh, the litany of achievements, he could he could have stopped and he didn't. Yeah. He just kept going. And surprisingly, you know, he's not a household name. So hopefully we've gone a little bit of the way to redress that imbalance. So a brilliant, a brilliant subject and a brilliant storyteller and communicator in Dearmond who, who brought it to us and a brilliant audience. What more could you want? Well, hopefully you'll want more of the same and we will bring it to you because from next week on, you will be getting season four of Why Would You Tell Me That? And in there, we have worked very hard to bring you even more incredible stories that you probably don't know, but you really should. And that is our kind of whole reason to be in our whole, uh, you know, mission statement here is to bring you things that are just ridiculously amazing, but you may not have ever heard of them. That's the whole I think, kind of I th aim. I think there, I, th I think I saw your eyes. I think you were going to say raison d'etre. And then I thought your eyes went, I can't say that. It's too pretentious. 
There was a bit of that, but I was also going to, I was going to go for a different sentence. Like I was, I was, I was going to go deeper than reason to be, but that's just what came out. And then I realized I could have gone raison d'etre and people would probably have understood that. And this show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, these, these are smart people. Yeah, somebody would have e- emailed us and uh, explained why people in France don't say it and what they actually say is some sort of Greek phrase and then explained <laughs> the origin of the Greek phrase and then given us footnotes and the person to talk to about that. And that is why we love them, Dave. Yes, we do. Right, join us in a week's time for season four of Why Would You Tell Me That with him, Neil Delamere, and me, Dave Moore. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.